You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. You know, Ed, I touched on it on the last episode, and I'm going to have to go back to it. I don't understand the move after your offense is going in that Royals series of messing with the top of the lineup. Andrew Vaughn's batting in the two spot for the last two games against Kansas City, and this team goes out and scores some runs. They, They score nine, and they score four. And then they go to Texas, and the decision is made to put Luis Robert in the two spot. And look, all things being equal, they're both very good hitters on your team. But Robert is talking pregame that he hasn't gotten his timing. It's going to take a few days to get his timing. And he's telling this to reporters and that there's a big test here and he's got to work his way back. The manager, though, puts him in the most valuable. Some people believe the most valuable spot in the lineup, which is your two spot. A lot of forward-thinking managers put their best hitter in the two spot, or at least one of their better hitters in the two spot. Right. He moves Vaughn down into the five. You score two runs against the Rangers, two runs against the Rangers. Thank goodness for Dylan Cease just pitching brilliantly, so it was a two-to-one victory. Zero runs against the Rangers. And then on Sunday, you score eight. You want to know who the big producers were in the lineup during that one? Jose Abreu, Aloy Jimenez, Andrew Vaughn. What does this guy have to do to prove that he's one of the premier hitters and that he's red hot right now? It's just unreal to me that that all season long we've watched this guy get shuffled up and down the lineup. And you can say what you want about Tony trying to find protection for certain guys who are scuffling or using something like the two spot to to maybe buy Robert an extra at bat so he gets his timing back. You know, I, I understand that there's reasons why you might move Vaughn out of the two spot, but it's not April or May where we're sitting here trying to figure out who should be hitting where and what's what's going to work for this team. We're literally in a moment here where the Sox have a margin for error that is absolutely minuscule if they still want to get into the playoffs this year. And it does not make a lick of sense to mess with something that was going so great where the top of that lineup with Vaughn hitting in the second spot was absolutely hurting pitchers because they just could not get through that stretch of the lineup without giving up runs. This episode of Socks in the Basement and every episode of Socks in the Basement brought to you proudly by Family Waterproofing Solutions. Named one of the Southtown's best in 2021 by the Daily Southtown. I expect it again this year for them because every time somebody comes up to me and says, I used family waterproofing because I heard about it on your show, Chris. I can smile before they say anything because I know they're going to tell me how well it went. Uh, They take care of the bowing walls, the window wells, the foundation and crack repair. Now is the time to take care of the concrete rising and falling, uneven sidewalk, driveway, patio. That's a foundation issue as the leaves begin to fall in about a month or so. I know I can't believe it myself. Gutter cleaning is available as well. Give them a call 24-7. Mention Socks in the Basement. You get a deep discount. 708-330-4466. See what a difference a family makes at FamilyDry.com. In the period of time since Robert got back, and again, I know he's just back, and I don't expect him to get going. I don't know why his manager thinks he's going to get going immediately. 250 with a 690 OPS. 
Andrew Vaughn over the last week, 423 with an 1137 OPS. You dropped him down the order. I don't know why. He's too much of a rookie. You don't you don't like the way he looks that day, Tony? I have no idea what the, the thought process is. The other ridiculous thing, though, that I saw over the last couple of days was Yasmani Grandal in the two spot. Yasmani Grandal is questionable as to whether or not you even want to put him in your lineup, let alone putting him in the two spot for any reason whatsoever. We're, we're talking about a guy who over just the last 28 days, his 222 average is an improvement over his average for the year. His 538 OPS, that's the best he's been doing. Unfortunately, over the last two weeks, he slipped back to what he's used to. An under 200 batting average, which is what he has right now for the season, and an OPS under 500. And you're putting him in that spot. Right now, Zebi Zavala is far more valuable. And I want to illustrate this point here. And then I would love to hear what you think about what they should do for the rest of the year. Because at some point, push comes to shove. And if you had to pick, based upon what they've done so far this season, Zavala's actually the one over Grandal in terms of what he's able to do for your team. Here's Yasmani Grandal with 218 at-bats. And here's Zebi Zavala with 112 at-bats. So about half the at-bats. Sebi has three more doubles than Grandal on the season with half the at-bats, the same amount of home runs, just two less RBIs, and you know he's not getting the same position in the order. So, honestly, he'd probably be higher than Grandal if he was given these premier batting spots to go out and be terrible in. Zavala's hitting 75 points higher for his average. He's slugging 150 points higher than Grandal. Like, right now, Yasmani Grandal, if you want to start finding players that are at fault for the White Sox this year, Yasmani Grandal, center of the bullseye. Well, yeah, and, and Grandal's been a problem. Really, he was a problem last year, too. It's just he had that weird thing going on where even though he couldn't hit, he was still driving the ball out of the park, right? So he was getting on base. It was the on-base thing, right? But what is he doing to get yeah. on base this year? He's got a two eighty nine on-base percentage, so I don't want to hear about that anymore. The, yeah, the on-base percentage just isn't there this year. So, And I understand he's been hurt, whatever. He's an old catcher at this point. And I'm not saying that Yasmani Grandal doesn't have value to a team with championship aspirations, but you're right. I mean, Sebi Zavala, just looking at the numbers, the eyeball test, for gosh sakes, I, just watching Zavala play versus Grandal play, Sebi's just a more dangerous hitter at this point. He's just a better overall player. But, you know, moving guys around the batting order, you know, one of the things, too, is, is again, you can talk about advanced metrics with a guy, right? He's not doing it right now. I, you know, I, I don't know what even an old school manager would be looking at. Well, how's this guy doing lately? And should I put him there? And overall, you look at something. Well, like, for example, Luis Robert in the two hole, 263 average, 723 OPS. It's, it's okay, right? But if he's batting third or fourth, he's hitting 313 with an 829 batting third over 46 games. And batting fourth, hitting in the cleanup spot, it's only eight games. It's a small sample size, but 364 with a seven, uh, I'm sorry, a 917 OPS. Meanwhile, Vaughn has spent most of his time in the second spot, and there's no reason why he should ever bat anywhere else, as far as I'm concerned, because he's hitting 300 there. And every other spot on the lineup, with the exception of the five games that he's batted eighth, where he's got a 400 average, He's best batting second or third. He is he's a 300 hitter with a 799 OPS. He's a 314 hitter batting third with an 883 OPS. He's clearly one of the best on the team. So Yasmani Grandal should never be in the second spot. Yohan Moncada should never be in the second spot. 
Larry Garcia should never be in the second spot. <laughs> None of those guys should ever be in the third spot. I like how you have to say that about Larry. I mean, I will be honest. He isn't playing as much. I, I, it seems as no, though he's, he's not. But but th- th- that was a big thing, obviously, earlier in the year. You, yeah. You're hitting Larry Garcia third. Why? why? Yeah. I mean, hey, look, I'll take Josh Harrison every day just for the defense because it's not like Larry's giving you anything with the bat that makes up for his glove. Oh, but now we get to watch Lennon Sosa not play again, too. So there's that. Well, it's always great to bring up a young kid that's got a lot of promise like Lennon Sosa and then have him sit there and gain experience by watching the other guys play. So I think that's an excellent move by this organization who seems so, so well run. If you've been listening to Socks in the Basement for a while, you've heard me talk about high-at-home medical equipment. If you want to know exactly what they do and I haven't done a good enough job explaining it to you, Check out HHME.com. See all the things they have to offer, whether it be for diabetes control or if you're somebody or have a loved one who's unable to move around the home very well. It's all about staying independent and in your house. From the big medical equipment to the everyday maintenance items, Hyatt Home Medical Equipment works with your insurance company to get you the best price possible out of pocket. And then they add a discount if you mention socks in the basement, that's right. You can order the important things online and never have anybody to talk to face to face, or you can deal with a local Southside company with a big, beautiful showroom who is there for you whenever you need them. Again, go to hhme.com or visit Hyatt today at 3518 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park. On the phone line with me right now, he got an off day, and uh, those are few and far between in this season. I think the lockout kind of compressed things. It seems like the White Sox are always doing a makeup game. They've got a weird one where they're they're on the road. They fly into Kansas City, and they go right over to Baltimore afterwards. Scott Merkin's going to be working like a dog over the next couple of months. He joins us right now from MLB.com. How are you, Scott? Good. How are you doing, Chris? I'm good, man. I'm good. Look, I'm reading this article today. Uh, it, it looks like it's going to be kind of just a funny piece about Dylan Cease and his, his mustache. And I love his mustache. And I think it looks like Freddie Mercury's mustache as well. But I, I did find something right at the end of the article that just stuck out to me that made me feel good as a White Sox fan. And I'm, I want to read it, even though you wrote it, the quote from Cease at the end, that it's hard to have fun when you're not having success. So it's just much easier to relax and you are working as opposed to going out there and not knowing if you're going to contribute or not. That's not a fun feeling. When you look at this team and the way that they basically have been a couple games under 500, they get the 500, they fall back. All these guys seem to be struggling. He's one of the few guys out there having fun. Am I, am I wrong in thinking that? I don't know about having fun, but I think, uh, first of all, where would the team be without him? Because, really every fifth day, you know, you have a better than average shot and maybe even more than better than average to, you know, end any kind of streak or extend a streak that you're on. So, you know, what happens? They lose Thursday night. Was that that was behind Cueto? I think, right? Pitch Thursday night. He pitched a great game and they couldn't get him any runs. And then, you know, instead of falling deeper against a, a very average team, they come back and win on, on Friday because ceases, you know, even on a night where his stuff wasn't great comes back and takes care of it. So I, I think that might be a little bit of a stretch to say that, you know, guys aren't having fun, but I, I know Lance Lynn and his own colorful vernacular said recently that, you know, it, it's hard to enjoy yourself when you're not, when you're playing like bad baseball, you can put your own word, one word in there. <laughs> starts with an S. 
And I understand that, you know, it, it, it can't be a great season when everyone at the beginning of the year is listing you as one of the three or four teams that is the favorite to win the world series. You start off six and two, lose eight in a row and really, you know, have never <laughs> taken off since then. Yeah. I mean, they were, I think until they went over 500 recently, I think the last time they were over 500 was 22 and 21 record wise. But yeah, I think Cease is enjoying himself. And I, I think back to talking to Cease <laughs> after the 20 season, when they skipped him for the third game start, when he was pretty clearly the third starter behind Giolito and Keiko all season long. And you know what? He didn't say, he didn't tell me in that off season, like, you know, man, I got ripped off. I, I was the third starter. What the heck is going on? He said, I didn't deserve it. That I didn't have a good finish of the season. I didn't pitch like I wanted that year. I didn't deserve it. And I think he's, you know, deserving of credit now for all the work he's put in, you know, with Ethan Katz on his own. And just a really interesting dude. I mean, I think I was talking to uh, James Fegan about this the other day from The Athletic and that, you know, if he's five and 10 with a four, I know people don't care about records, but let's just, just humor me. If he's five and 10 with like a four, eight ERA, we're probably not joking about the mustache, right? We're probably not asking him like, Hey, who do you look like? Who do you compare it to? Oh, a good pull by him on Don Fry to look him up and then ask, uh, ask Dylan a little more about him. I mean, quite an MMA champion, I guess. But, you know, it, it comes with the fact that he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. Let me ask you about how they use him right now, because because here's the thing. We were talking about this on the show last week, that when you look at how Tony deploys his bullpen, like a, like a Johnny Cueto man, if he wants to, he'll go the whole game. Dylan Cease, uh, if he pitches 120 pitches or he pitches 90, it's a rarity. I think he's only done it four times all year where he goes into the seventh inning. He generally goes, okay, great six innings, ace. Now sit down. We're going to give it to the bullpen. Do you get any feeling if you talk with Dylan as he talked about it? Does he want to go deeper in games? Why do you think that the manager goes, all right, I'm going to take the greatest six innings ever, but I'm not pushing it with the seventh inning, even if he's sitting at like 90 pitchers or so? Yeah, I did talk about that. It didn't make this story. Maybe I'll get in the newsletter next week or, you know, whenever he pitches next, but I think, first of all, starting pitching has changed overall where, you know, in the old days, it was accepted that you went six, seven, eight. And I mean, if you go back to the really old days, like I just happened to see Fergie Jenkins on TV and, you know, that guy, basically his baseline was like 130 pitches, right? Yeah, I think there was one year where he threw 30 complete games or 20, maybe that's 30, but like 23 or 24 complete games. Same with like the Sox pitching staff and that 1983 team with Richard Dotson and the late Lamar Hoyt and Floyd Bannister, that whole crew. But that isn't the, that isn't the norm anymore. And I think, you know, you look at the last game and here's why Dylan didn't go deep. He threw what, 44 pitches in his first two innings, high energy pitches. So it took him, you know, a while to get, to get, to get through it. And he even said if his fastball command was better in that first inning or the second inning, then he would have been, that's the inning he could have had for the seventh inning. So I think Cueto and Cease are different pitchers. Cueto even told us the other day, you know, he's not looking for strikeouts right now. He's looking for quick outs. And, you know, his pitch count is usually lower than Dylan's going later into the game. I think it's all about the quality of innings, not so much the quantity. Scott Merkin and every guest here on Socks in the Basement brought to you proudly by the village of Lamont. Want to experience downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventure Visit the Village of Lamont, shop, dine, drink, explore, and see everything they have to offer this weekend and on upcoming weekends. I'm looking forward to a big Oktoberfest at the Forge. I was just looking that up today, thinking to myself, I don't want to miss it. In about mid-September, that's where my brain was. See it all at lamontdowntown.com. So were you shocked by 
how little they did at the deadline. And do you, do you think that that's because they didn't have enough to get the players that they wanted? I wouldn't say shocked. I would say surprised. I didn't know. You know, I, I always hate to say, like, I didn't think they'd get a big ticket player or, a, or an impact player because, I mean, we're, you know, Eddie Rosario, Jorge Soler, and Jack Peterson considered the biggest names to move at the trade deadline last year. Probably not, right? Probably not even in the top five or maybe even ten. And those are three key guys in the Atlanta Braves run to the World Series. So, yeah, I think it just matters on, on how the guy fits and what you need to, to go forward. Not necessarily, you know, you have to go out and compete for Juan Soto or you have to get Shohei Otani or something like that. I thought they would add a left-handed bat of some sort. Now, they do have a, you know, a pretty deep roster. There's not a lot of spots open. Josh Harrison has been very good the last couple months. Gavin Sheets has been better since he came back up from the minors and, you know, keeps getting better. Now, again... I think if they had the right move and found the right fit for left-handed bat, they would have, you know, used Gavin, put Gavin Sheets back down in Charlotte, just as Jake Berger is right now, who was having a great run when he was up in the major leagues. So I was surprised by that. I thought maybe they'd add one more bullpen arm, but, you know, the biggest key for them, I think, is getting healthy. Scott Merkin joining us from MLB.com. Scott, before I let you go, I know that you and the other beat reporters, uh, you chit-chat, yeah, I'm sure you exchange text messages, maybe send a meme or two to each other. Is there a point where you guys maybe have started chatting about what happens if this team doesn't make the playoffs? Do you have any anticipation that there'll be all of a sudden a reckoning where somebody's going to go? There's got to be somebody offered up. You had Tony LaRusso from all accounts. We've never had, you know, the man, the contract confirmed on record for Tony, but it's been reported, I think, by Bob Nightingale complains that it was three years. So he would have one more year left. But I would think it would be very interesting what they do and how they approach the offseason if they don't make it at all. This is not like the Minnesota team last year. The Minnesota team last year had a weird season. They were considered one of the favorites. They were coming off, what, a 19? They had the 100-win season, right, when they hit 900 home runs. Not really 900, but like 300 home runs. They won the division in 20 when the Cubs couldn't beat, I'm sorry, the Sox couldn't beat the Cubs on that last day of the season. And then just a miserable 21 where they blew some games early. You know, Colome was not the right fit in the closer spot. And then they had some injuries and some underperformance, and it just went sideways. And the Sox were really good last year, you know. And once Bieber got hurt, it was really the Sox division to lose, and they took control and held it until they clinched in, you know, later September. It's not like that. It's almost more disappointing than what the Twins did last year because the Twins were pretty much gone by June, right? The Sox have been just good enough not to be great this year. You know, back to Rick's famous quote about Rick Hansen, his quote when they were going into the rebuild about being tired of being mired in mediocrity. That's what they have been this year for the most part, right? They they stick between five under and like two over. There's no long winning streak. There's no 15 out of 19, you know, nothing like that. So you would think, now again, I don't read the minds of Rick, Kenny, or Jerry, but you would think if this team that had made the playoffs twice, that had great players coming back and they added on, you know, to some extent that they were, you know, a favorite to win the AL Central hands down, but also considered one of the best teams in baseball. If they don't make the playoffs with an extra spot there with that third wild card, you would think some sort of change would have to happen. Now, I don't even want to speculate on that, but let's just say in general, could be personnel, could be management, who knows. But in general, you would think if a team with that much expectation falls short, they did have a lot of injuries, but so have a lot of teams, as teams expected, with the shortened spring training and then going forth, you know, past that during the season. You would expect there to be some sort of change. No holds barred. Everything has to be reexamined at that point. 
Scott Merkin writes for MLB.com. He's been covering the White Sox for a long time. He does a great job at it, and he's always nice enough to join us here on Sox in the Basement when I, I shoot him a text or give him a call, and I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Merk. Usually about three or four times, so I finally get my act together and get back to you, but I appreciate you hanging in there. <laughs> I was out at Hailstorm Brewing this past weekend. Uh, the new pool's in the backyard. Uh, there's the pool place that I bought everything from, and it's right near Hailstorm out in Tinley. So I, I gathered everybody together and said, come on, we're going to go get some pool toys. And it was just an excuse for me to bring the whole family into Hailstorm, located in Tinley Park at 8060 186th Street, right off of 80th Avenue, the official brewery of Socks in the Basement with the big beer hall inside there. The food's good. The kids enjoyed it. You know, I mean, it, it, it's one of those places that you've been in there and, and back me up on this. They are more interested in you being social with other people, with the board games and the tables that you kind of share and the really neat bar in between the equipment that you have uh, where they're actually brewing all of their delicious beer. It's really kind of a fun spot to get away from everything else going on in the world. Oh, yeah, it's it's one of those things where you're just out there and, and whoever's there with you we're all just sort of bonded by how good the beer is and, and and let's just be good company for each other and let's just get away from whatever the heck is going on outside the doors. New brewer Will Turner bringing decades of experience and excellence now to Hailstorm Brewing, tweaking classic styles, innovating new beers of his own. There's a fire pit outside for chilly evenings, live music on the weekends, trivia nights, and other fun events. Follow them on Facebook at Hailstorm Brewing Co. to get all the details. Try some of their their summer beers, the Strawberry Summer, uh, it's a Strawberry Lemon Kolsch. I tried that this weekend. I thought it was good. And I'm not normally a guy who likes fruity flavors in his beer. And it was perfect for a hot day. Check them out online, hailstormbrewing.com. I want to swing back to the whole talk about Grandal because I think he's on my list of expendable players. Guys that are, and he's under contract, so we're stuck with him next year. I don't know what you do with that. Okay, but if if you asked me right now, and I'm curious what you think, if you asked me who's your core that you love, who are the guys that you're like, okay, things didn't go well this year, but these guys are great ball players, especially if healthy. Andrew Vaughn, Luis Robert, Jose Abreu, and I don't even know if they're going to resign him in the offseason. You can have that argument later on. And Aloy Jimenez, if he can stay healthy, right? Like basically, if you could put Aloy at the DH spot, and you look at Vaughn as a corner outfielder who's not really a very good defensive corner outfielder, and then you have a center fielder that, even when he's down, is a really good player on your team and one of your best hitters and best defensive players. After that, I'm not concerned about anybody else if they make major changes to this roster. Am I crazy? No, you're not crazy. I, I mean, that that's... You know I, I know, I know the names, the two names that people are going to hear you say... And are immediately going, hey, hey oh yeah, people are mad at say Tim Anderson. People are mad at say Tim Anderson. So Tim Anderson and Yon Moncada are the two names that people are going to say. And and I can see where you're coming from with Yon Moncada because, I, again, it, it's not that he doesn't have the talent. It's not that he's not a good third baseman. It's not that he doesn't have flashes. It's just it's one of those where his production level is something that you could find somebody else to do that and possibly do it. Better. He's not one of the best offensive third baseman in the majors. He's not one of the best offensive third baseman in the in the AL the past couple of years. 
So I, I, Moncada, you know, I can see leaving him out of it. I mean, if you're going to include pitchers in there, you know, Dylan Cease, I think, is a name that that people would sit there and go, well, he's earned he's earned a spot on there too as the guy that's going to anchor the pitching staff. Right. Um, I actually believe in Kopech. I think uh, more than I believe in Giolito. Oh, a hundred percent. I think Kopech struggles lately are just a matter of one, uh, a little bit of a, a tweak knee, and two, the, the innings issue. The, the, he he's not been a full time starter in in years, 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 years. Because you got to remember when the injury occurred. So Kopech and Cease, you know, including those guys, I, you know, I, I I think Tim Anderson is the name that everyone's going to sit here and go, why isn't T.A. on there? And it's not because he's a bad it's not because he's a bad shortstop. Ed. No, no, not at all. I, I but I would say this, though, but to preface what you're going to what I think you're going to say, I think people need to remember just how stacked shortstop is as a position all across the major leagues. So. Why is TA not at the top of that stack for you? Because right off the top of my head, I can just start naming guys that are better than him. And it's not hard to back it up. Like, he's a good shortstop, right? You can win a championship with Tim Anderson as your shortstop. And I know everybody loves the swagger and the talk. We did a whole episode about Tim Anderson and how much we loved him. So this is not because there's some deep-seated hatred of Tim Anderson or I don't like Tim Anderson. No, you can win with Tim Anderson. But what I'm saying is that you can find a talent like him you can make adjustments if need be, and you even have a guy that may be here in a few years in Colson Montgomery that could be a, an excellent shortstop for you. And I, the, the thing about Anderson is I can sit there and think of Trey Turner, who's a better shortstop offensively and defensively than Anderson. I take Francisco yeah. Lindor over him. I take Corey yes. Seager. I mean, even though Seager's hitting 248, his slugging is 468. He's got 24 home runs. I say Seager is all power, left-handed power. He's he's an ideal fit for what Rick Hahn's been looking for. Right. I mean, he would be he'd be great for your team right now. Dansby Swanson in 292 this year with a 348 on base percentage, 461 slugging, and 16 home runs for Atlanta. I take him in a heartbeat. Xander Bogarts hitting 311 with a 383 on base percentage and a 452 slugging. He's better than what TA is, even though he's only got three more home runs. TA has six and and Bogarts has nine. Bogarts has 28 doubles. The man puts the ball into the gaps. T.A. is basically a singles hitter right now. I mean, T.A. is hitting 301 with a 339 on base percentage and slugging 395. He's only got six home runs. At this point, he's become just a guy who gets base hits, and he's not doing it at that clip where it's like 330, that like batting champion clip, right? So he's he's a table setter who, when he goes in the slumps, doesn't really set the table very well. But the biggest thing that I would point out about him is defensively, he's taken a real step backwards this year. I mean, we're talking about a guy, when you look at his defensive runs saved above average, negative 12 right now, giving 12 runs up to the other team this year over the average of 1,200 innings, if that's what he ends up playing. That's what the metric says right now. We're talking about a guy who his total zone fielding runs above average. He's giving up 10 runs to the opposition this year. There's plenty of guys that are better than that. Bo Bichette's having a terrible year right now uh, compared to his last season with Toronto, and I take him over Tim Anderson right now, even though T.A. became the starter over Bo Bichette in the All-Star game. If you tell me you could have this 24-year-old kid who's only shown signs of not doing very well for one half season and then look at the ups and downs, really, of Anderson's career, and he's 29 this year and he's heading towards his year 30 season— uh, right now, I can name a lot of guys 
that I'd be like, okay, if it was a straight up trade, I trade TA for that guy. All right. Again, really good player. Okay. Not as much of a vocal leader this year. Cause he's dealing with a lot of other stuff from what I understand. So you're not getting that from him and his numbers are down and he seems to have games where he doesn't seem to have his head in the game. I have no problem keeping him on your team, but I'm also completely fine if this doesn't work out this year and you see them either get an early exit or miss the postseason. If they moved on from him, I go, okay, what did you do? To, what did you get for him? What are we doing here in, in, going forward? I, I, I know that upsets a lot of White Sox fans, but I don't see like that, that thing that makes me say I'd have to have him. Like I'd be distraught if they moved on from him. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you lose personality-wise, okay? And, and in terms of a guy that the past few years has become one of the faces of Major League Baseball, you lose something there from a marketing standpoint. What you don't necessarily lose is production on the field because he's not, like you said, he's not going for a batting title this year. And from the, the standpoint of his on-base percentage and his slugging percentage, you know, he's, he's comparable not to some of the guys you listed at the top or even guys like, say, Andres Jimenez from Cleveland or, you know, well, you know, even to a certain degree, Bobby Witt from uh, from Kansas City. Right. What, you, what you're looking at is you're looking at a guy like Josh Rojas, who is a more or less a utility guy for the Diamondbacks and, you know, is nominally one of their starters because he plays all over the field, but... If you were to tell me that, hey, we're, you know, we're going to get Josh Rojas to play shortstop in place of Tim Anderson, I think everybody would be sitting there going, why? Oh, we're downgrading. But in reality, when Rojas has, has got a 344 on base percentage and a 399 slugging, and TA's got 339 and 395, all he's really given you is 30 extra empty calories on the batting average because Rojas is hitting 271 right now. Right. And then, you know what? Here's the thing. Remember, we've we've talked about Anderson. We've had. We've had beat reporters on. We've had people have analyzed his stats. What was the thing that always came up on this show? Well, he has that really high BABIP, right? But it's sustainable. Yeah. It's sustainable. So as long as he keeps hitting 330, he's a very valuable player. Well, that isn't happening now, is it? Right? We're, we've seen a little bit of a downturn. And his defense has taken a downturn as well. So all the things that everybody said at the beginning of this season and during last season, which were the reasons why he was about to become a superstar— He's not doing that this season. Like there's been flashes of it, but consistently throughout the season, we haven't gotten that. So he's actually a step back from what he was the year before when you were expecting him to take that one more step to superstardom. And I don't see it right now in the numbers, right? I don't see what the eye test when I see things that happen on the field and I go, come on, what was he doing on that play? He's not the only guy who's playing that way. I mean, there's an awful lot of guys that don't run out a, a, you know, a drop third strike on this team. A lot of them don't run out a drop third strike on this team. I've seen Tim do it. I've seen I've seen Moncada do it. I've seen a bunch of them do it. But the thing is, is that like I don't see that thing that makes me say superstar leader because superstar leader would have run that out. Jose Abreu as a leader of the White Sox, he's a superstar leader. Is a superstar leader. He is there every day. He rarely spends time off the field. He's he seems to be always available. And whether he's just doing that tough guy thing of he's really hurt but he's playing through it. Or, you know, he's really, he's just there, he's in the game, he's present, he's always focused. And you look at at TA, and this is, again, this isn't a criticism because I understand at at shortstop you're going to get hurt a little bit more often than you're going to be at, you know, first base. But he's played 153 games once, and that was in 2018. He played 146 games in 2017, but since then, 123, 
in 2019, played most of the season in 2020 in the short season. He played 49 games. Last year, 123 games. Uh, he's on pace to play a little bit more this year, but only by a game or two. And and here we are again in a critical stretch and he's suspended because he bumped an ump. And I'm so sick of hearing people try to justify that too. The umpire didn't make him bump him. I don't even know if, if, if the umpire was wrong on that pitch. Like, sure, he was mad about something earlier. Control yourself. I see what you're saying though, because if this does not work out, if the White Sox as a team fail to go to the playoffs this year, if they don't contend for championship this year, and it's a disappointing, frustrating season for fans, uh, allegedly frustrating for Rickon. And, you know, just in general, you go into the offseason, sit there going, okay, changes need to be made. Who are the untouchables? I can see where Tim Anderson isn't necessarily on the list of the untouchables. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on socksinthebasement.com.